Merry Christmas, everybody. It is a wonderful life. Merry Christmas, campuses. Merry Christmas at New Lenox. Merry Christmas, Homer Glenn. Congratulations on the new building. It's looking great. I know this is going to be fun. And I got word from the uh, state of Illinois that 159th Street will be done by Christmas. <laughs> they just can't decide which year, so we're, we're still working on that. Welcome to those of you online, Facebook Live. Got a lot of people around the world that watch us. I found out about a, a family related to a family in our church, the Nick Niklasen family in Sweden, who watch us every week. So I want to shout out to you. I don't know any Swedish, but oh yeah, Ikea to you. Nicholson's, it's good to have you here with us. We're going to come back after, uh, after the holidays are over, January 5th and 6th, New Year, New Chair, which for those of you who know is a three-chair sermon to get us started on the, on the new year. And, uh, and then we're starting to explore God. A bunch of churches around the area are all doing this together, and uh, we're just going to dig in. So if, you, if you're new, if you've got doubts about God, you know somebody that does, that series is, is going to be for you and them and all of us as we explore the existence of God. Although I don't know how you could question the existence of God this year. I mean, we got Notre Dame, the University of Oklahoma, and the Chicago Bears all in the playoffs. I mean, how could there not be a God? I mean, this, this is unbelievable. I don't know if you know this, but when they, uh, you know, the commentators on the NFL go around all the different, um, you know, all the different stadiums, they visit with the coaches in their office. And uh, Troy Aikman was visiting in, uh, in, in, you know, Minnesota, and he was talking to Zimmer, and he noticed over on the wall there was a payphone on the wall. He's like, what's that for? And Zimmer's like, oh, that's the hotline to God. Aikman was like, well, can I use it? And, and Zimmer's like, yeah, I mean, it'll cost you $100, but yeah, you can do it. You can use it if you want. So he gets to Green Bay, and, and, and he looks over in Philbin's office, and there's, there's a payphone. He's like, are you kidding me? You have a hotline of God, too? Yeah, how much is it? $100. If you want to use it, go ahead. He gets to Soldier Field and, and looks at the wall, and Nagy's got a phone. He's like, really? That's a hotline to God? Yeah. Can I use it? Yeah. How much is it going to cost? Nagy said, 35 cents. Aikman's like, wait a minute, in Minnesota it was $100, in Green Bay it was $100, how come it's 35 cents here? Nagy said, well, it's a local call. <laughs> Thank you, I'm here all week. <laughs> and I mean, I'm really here all week. <laughs> you know, that's a really old joke, obviously, but it's been a long time since I've been able to tell it, right? And it gets harder and harder to sell the fact that God might want to actually live in the state of Illinois, but that's a whole nother, whole nother issue. Let's just talk about Wonderful Life, okay? How many of you, all of our campuses, how many of you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, a few of you. Usually it's a few of the younger ones, right? Most of us have seen it. I mean, out of all the Christmas movies, probably the most popular. Do you know why? Because it used to be on all the time, right? It was on every channel all the time. Do you know why that was? I found out this week a couple of interesting facts about It's a Wonderful Life. One, in 1974, the copyright license ran out. So you could show it for free on your channel anytime you wanted. That's why it was on all the time. And the other interesting fact is that when the movie came out in 1946, it was a bomb at the box office. It lost a half a million dollars for Frank Capra in 1946. That was a lot of money back then. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know what? That's almost appropriate, right? I mean, the whole idea of the movie is that life can be wonderful even if money doesn't go the way that you want it to, right? I mean, it's a movie about a guy who never got to experience the life that he thought he was going to because he ended up saving the family business and giving his money to his brother to go to college and stayed home. 
It's a movie about a guy named George who gave his honeymoon money to the town when there was a run on the bank because that was the only way he could save it. It's a movie about a guy who, who was a, a banker but a, a selfless banker who, who never really made much money because he always took care of everybody else, helped the Martini family get into their house, right? It's a movie about a guy who almost went bankrupt when his dopey uncle lost all of their money, right? And Mr. Potter ended up with it accidentally and kept it. It almost seems appropriate that the movie lost money in the box office and only became so popular later partially because you could show it without paying anybody any money, doesn't it? And now it is recognized as one of the greatest movies ever made by one of the greatest film directors of all time. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying it's just ironic that It's a Wonderful Life is a wonderful movie even though it didn't go the way it was planned. When it all goes wrong, um, George Bailey cries out to God and God sends an angel. You know, the, this, you know the story. It's Clarence, odd body. He's not even got his wings yet. Not necessarily a great angel. But as I was thinking about what movie to do for Christmas Eve this year, I thought, well, this, this works out because there's a lot of angels in the first story. In the first Christmas in Luke 1, God sends an angel also. It's not Clarence. It's, it's Gabriel. <laughs> Evidently, he has his wings because people get freaked out every time Gabriel shows up. But his first appearance is to Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are, uh, are related to Mary and Joseph, and they are, he is a priest, and they are old, and they've been wanting to have a baby for a long time. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel shows up and says, Zechariah, even though you're old, your prayers have been answered, and you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and have you seen my wife? To my translation, the angel said to him, <laughs> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I'm an angel. I came from God. Okay, do you get that? And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. But because you didn't believe, you will be unable to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. So he's going to kind of live under a little bit of a punishment from God because he didn't believe, which will come true at their appointed time. Because God's stuff comes true no matter what, right? So Zechariah represents kind of the George character for me because in this way, he doesn't have much faith in the idea that God is going to actually rescue him and help him because his wife is old, okay? I mean, she's not a virgin, but it's still hard to believe. So he gets punished for his lack of faith. Gabriel goes away, six months later, comes back, and he appears to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Hang on to that phrase. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and his kingdom will never end. Well, how's this going to happen, Mary said, since I'm a virgin? She has her questions also, but Gabriel doesn't punish her for them, okay? And I asked myself, what's the difference between Mary and Zechariah when Gabriel shows up, tells them there's going to be a miracle, they both have questions, what's the difference? Well, for one, I think this is a way bigger miracle. I think, I think Gabriel was more patient with Mary and her questions because it's a bigger miracle. I mean, older ladies sometimes have babies. World record right now is 66. Yeah, three years ago, a 66-year-old woman had twins. 
because she lied to an in vitro doctor and, you know, and, and, and that happened, okay? But, but, but Mary's miracle is going to be way, way different. You know, this whole virgin birth thing, that's a whole nother deal. One woman was writing about her daughter playing Mary in the children's Christmas play. And uh, she said, as they were getting ready, these are like five-year-olds, okay? As they're getting ready, the, there's one little boy who's a sheep. And he, you know, was feeling pretty important. So he was just outgoing, kind. And he would walk around and he'd go, I'm a sheep. What are you? And everybody would respond, you know, with what they were. And he said, she said, she, he got to my daughter and he said, I'm a sheep. What are you? And, and, and my daughter said, I'm Mary. And she said, I could see in his eyes, he realized he was, you know, face to face with a lead character now. And he felt like he needed to justify his role. So he said, well, it's hard to be a sheep, you know. <laughs> my daughter responded, yeah, but it's also hard being a virgin. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Virgin birth is a bigger miracle. Okay. Number two, she has questions, but she still has faith. And I think this is really the big part of it, okay? She, she has questions, but her response in the next verse is, okay, I don't understand this, but I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. May it be to me as you have spoken, right? And that's the main thing, is that Mary has questions, but she has faith. There's a difference between having questions and, and not having faith and having questions and having faith. And I think that's the big part of this. But I also wonder if Gabriel was a little bit more patient with Mary because she's going to have a much harder, wonderful life. I mean, I was thinking about it. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's a priest, right? And, and, and they have this miracle baby when they're older. They haven't been able to have a baby, and they have one. So what happens? Everybody goes, yay, that's awesome. And then, you know, they go on with their life, and everything is normal, wonderful. I mean, when John the Baptist grows up, you know, he, he's out in the desert telling everybody to repent, wearing camel hair and eating bugs, and that would have been weird, but by then, they were probably gone. So their whole life was just a pretty normal, wonderful life. That's how I would interpret it. However, Mary's miracle message from Gabriel means her fiancé almost dumping her until Gabriel goes and has a little visit with him and, you know, helps him straighten everything out. It, it means that everybody's going to think that she was immoral, and we've talked about this in the Rudolph message. Jesus was called an illegitimate person all the way into his adulthood because they thought that Mary had broken the law, you know, either with Joseph or whoever else. Worse yet, she was telling some of her close friends that this was really God's baby, and they really didn't have any idea what to do with that. Mary's wonderful life meant 80-mile trip to Bethlehem while she is great with child, right, having a baby in strange circumstances, laying him in a manger, having to flee to Egypt because the king was trying to kill her son. And what I'm saying is Zechariah and, and Elizabeth got to live a pretty normal, wonderful life. Mary and Joseph had to live a pretty crazy, messed up, wonderful life. More like George Bailey. I wonder if an angel showed up to help her when her son was being crucified on a cross. When they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus back in the Christmas story, you usually probably don't read this far if you're reading the story, but they get to this guy named Simeon who's a prophet, and he prophesies over Jesus, baby Jesus, in the temple. He's being dedicated, and he says, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior of the world, this is awesome. But he has this little caveat in there for Mary. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul. That doesn't sound like a wonderful life, does it? I mean, a sword is going to pierce your soul? What's important to understand here is that what I'm saying is like Mary, 
and, and maybe like George Bailey, your wonderful life might likely not go as planned either. It's interesting because we found out that uh, one of the characters that's still alive from the movie, maybe the only one, is Zuzu, the little girl who was, you know, the every time a bell rings girl. So we actually got an interview with her. We don't have time to play the thing, but, but the, the interview's online. I'll give you a little shout-out from Zuzu so that you can be interested and go online and, and see this interview. Merry Christmas to Parkview Church. And remember, every time a bell rings... An angel gets his wings. It's a, it's a great story because she's a believer and she credits God with getting her through her life, but she lost both parents as a teenager, was shipped off to live with family that she didn't know, um, had a pretty hard life, had an 18-year-old die, son die, um, you know, I mean, just really had a pretty tough life. She didn't even watch It's a Wonderful Life movie until she was in her 50s. So, so, so lest you think that life, you know, turns out well for everybody else, just not you. I guess that's important. And let's just admit that, that life is harder on some than others, but nobody's life turns out like what they think. And you know why that is? It's because Jesus said, and I quote this all the time, but I think this is a huge important verse, in this world you will have trouble because the world is broken. It was broken by sin in the Garden of Eden, and, and Mr. Potter is real. In the movie, he's that ruthless Scrooge of a guy who's always wanting to take. Trivia note, uh, Drew Barrymore's great uncle, Lionel Barrymore, was, was Mr. Potter. He's driven by greed and power, and he's the opposite of George and Mary. So, so, so he shouldn't be there. He's the, he's the bad guy, right? He's got greed and power, and it's the opposite of the joy and the peace and the love that God wants us to have for each other. It's the opposite of what Christmas is all about. Mr. Potter represents what happened when sin came into our world. And sometimes good doesn't win in the short term now. It's a difficult message from It's a Wonderful Life. But the truth is that sometimes good is not rewarded and sometimes evil is, at least in the short term. I mean, think about it. For the large majority of the film, George is not rewarded for doing the right thing. When he rescues his brother Harry from a freezing lake... What happens to him? He, he loses the hearing in his left ear. When he warns his boss about a potentially disastrous accident, he gets beaten by him. When his father dies, he takes on the responsibility of the building and loan and loses his chance for travel and for college. All his hopes are dashed. When there's a run on the bank, as I mentioned, there, he, he misses his own honeymoon and gives money to keep the, the savings and loan open, the building and loan open. And it feels like as you watch this movie, every noble sacrifice for the people of Bedford Falls is more like a trap for him than it is a wonderful life. And I love this scene as Capra shows him isolated against the crowd, kind of like, that's the life I want, but this is what I've got to go do. And he puts a smile on and he goes back again. And then there's this scene where he's against the train and he's looking back at the life he knows he needs to go lead. And the train represents the escape that he wants, right? All the way through the movie. And of course, when George finally realizes that his life was worth something and did have purpose, there's the beautiful scene when he's rewarded with the generosity from the community who all come together and bail him out in the unbelievably touching finale, right? Ends with everybody coming together, singing Auld Lang Syne, you know, the, the cops tearing up the, the, you know, the, the warrant for his arrest, and every, everybody's in there together, and it's great. It's a wonderful ending, great movie ending, except 
that George Bailey still has to live in that crummy old house, right? Except, if you think about it, George Bailey's business is still on the brink of being swallowed up by Potter, who faces no consequences at all for stealing $8,000 from George, right? I mean, at the end of the movie, George Bailey, Mr. Potter still has George Bailey's $8,000. This is why I will say it again, I think Die Hard is a better Christmas movie, <laughs> right? Because in the end of Die Hard, the bad guy gets what's coming to him. Goodbye, Hans Gruber, Severus Snape, whoever you are, goodbye. You get what's coming to you because that's how I want life to go. I want the bad guy to be vanquished. I want resolution. That's how I want my movies to happen. Not like get married in a Hallmark movie. Like I want the bad guy to go away. At least there could have been a scene at the end of this movie where Mr. Potter shows up and sings Auld Lang Syne with everybody and his heart grows three, you know, times like the Grinch and, and he gives the money back. Why don't we get that? Because sometimes that's not what happens. The contradictions in the film are never really resolved. It's really only about George's attitude. That's the only thing that changes in the movie, and that may be the thing for you this Christmas Eve. The contradictions are never resolved. It's, it's beautifully dramatized by the stairs in George's house. And I'll, I'll show you this. There's a, there's a newel post that's broken on the stairs, and it represents the frustrations of life not going well for George, which I thought, oh, that's where they got it. Because the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Christmas Vacation, has that same kind of scene, right? Am I right? And what happens? Fix the Newell Post. Yes! That's how I want the Newell Post. That's how I want the frustrations of life handled. Now, watch what happens when George Bailey runs into the Newell Post. It represents frustration in his life. Second time, it represents a frustration in his life. But the third time, he's happy to see it. It's still broken. It's still not perfect. But it represents something completely different. Why? Well, here's what I want to tell you. I think the hardest part of the journey in George's life was in between when God showed up and when George believed that God showed up. I mean, God showed up. He just didn't believe it. And once he believed it, everything changed. The trouble in Zachariah's life was in between the time God showed up and the time that he believed that God showed up. Because it's always going to be about faith. The crazy thing about Zechariah, as I mentioned, he's a high priest, okay? He was a person of faith. He's a priest. He's in the temple when the angel comes to see him. You understand that? It's not like he's at Bass Pro Shop shopping for last-minute Christmas gifts and the angel shows up or Ikea, what, you know, however it is. He's a professional believer. He's in the most holy place he could be on earth. He's going through all of the right motions. He just forgot to believe in a supernatural God who could help him. And my question for you this Christmas is that maybe where you're at. Are you living in between when God showed up and when you believe God showed up? It is so easy for us to go through the motions, especially at Christmas time. You put baby Jesus in the yard, you send out the cards, you, you sing the carols. But it's easy to forget 
I am Gabriel. I came from God. What part of I came from God don't you understand? Nothing is impossible with God is what he told Mary. And Mary's response was, okay, if that's how you want it, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. In other words, I'm the Lord's servant. I I don't know how it's going to happen. I I don't see the end of the story yet. The newel post is still broken in my life, and actually it's gotten a little bit crazier in my life now because I'm going to have the Son of God and nobody's going to understand it. But if that's what you want, if you want me to live 33 years of heartache, and watch my son die on a cross and not get resolution until I see the empty tomb, I will consider that my wonderful lie. And that's why we call her blessed. Matter of fact, Elizabeth, her cousin, Zechariah's wife, says, you are blessed woman because, why? You believed what God said. Who believed every word would come true. This is the message that we need. God is here. He sent his son into this mess to rescue us, and he gave us the power to live a wonderful life. Here's the rest of that verse. In this world, you will have trouble. It doesn't always resolve itself. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have come already into the world. It's up to you to believe it. Are you living in between that time when God has showed up and you believed that God showed up? Let's watch. The, the problem here is uh, it was hard for George to believe that Clarence could have been an answer to his prayer. And the problem for us is it's hard for us to believe that a tiny baby lying in a manger could be an answer to our prayer. But it's the truth. If you're living in between the time God answered and the time you believed, it's because he answered it 2,000 years ago. I, I worry that, that many of you will think, oh, well, Mary, highly favored. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I, I get, I mean, she had a not so wonderful life, but she was used by God because she was highly favored. What did that mean? And the verb that means highly favored just means lucky to be chosen. I mean, don't make more of it out of, out of it than it ought to be. And, but I looked it up, and it's only used two times in the New Testament. Once is for Mary... And the other time is for you. Because the Apostle Paul says that same thing to every believer. He says, you are highly favored. You are. How's that possible? Well, it's not possible by you. It's by the grace he has freely given us. I mean, you may think that God doesn't love you or he doesn't want to help you or he doesn't want to use you because you're not Mary, but but I'm telling you the opposite is true. You are highly favored like she is. As a matter of fact, I'd like for you to say that. I'm going to force this on you. Say this with me. I am highly favored. One more time. I am highly favored. If you start living that and believing that, it could change your wonderful life. It may not turn out the way that you thought. Good may not always come out on top in every situation, but if God can breathe life into the womb of a virgin, he can breathe life into you. And you are not on this earth by accident. And he has a purpose for you and he wants you to fulfill it. So our response should be, okay, may it be to me as you have spoken. I'm going to believe. The angel is telling us, take courage. Fear not. The Lord is with you. Nothing is impossible with God. I'm Gabriel. I came from God. 
Maybe you're like George and you just don't see the significance in your life. I want you to understand today you're wrong. Just like George Bailey was wrong. You are highly favored. Your prayers may get answered in a Zechariah and Elizabeth kind of a way. And you may have a pretty normal, wonderful life when you look back on it. Or it may get answered in a Mary and Joseph kind of a way and your wonderful life may have gone a completely different direction. But help from heaven is here for you. And help from heaven shows up in this movie again in that beautiful scene in community. And that's why it's so important for us as we close our service on Christmas Eve that we do two things that represent what the community of faith ought to be about. One of them is communion that we're going to do in just a moment here. And then the other is the candle lighting when, 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 we, when we watch the love of Jesus just flow throughout all of our campuses, all of our congregations. We want to be that for you. So we're going to have communion together. And I just want you to know, um, you don't have to be a part of this church. If you are a believer, we, we want you to commune with us. We don't care where you've been, what you've done. We don't care about your background. If you're a believer, you are highly favored and you are welcome with us. And, and even if today is the day that you say, God, I'm not much of a praying man. Isn't that what he said? I'm not much of a praying man. But if you're up there, I need some help. He's already sent it. And he'd love to send you help from heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son to be a baby. Because the important part of that for us is that we know that you know what it was like to be us. You sent your son to be a baby so that he could grow up and understand what life is like and understand the broken newel post of our lives and understand the hardships of our lives. And he lived it and he experienced it. And Jesus, we know that you understand where we're coming from today. But at the same time, we know that you are turning to us and saying, by the grace I have freely given you, you are highly favored. And we claim that this Christmas. I am highly favored. I don't know how I got here to this point. I don't know what you have ahead, but I know that you're here and that you love me and that in this world when I have trouble, I can take heart because you have overcome the world. Lord, if there are people that need to open up to you and say that prayer, I think the George Bailey prayer is good enough. God, I'm not much of a praying man or woman, and if you're up there, I need some help. Be with us as we commune together. And thank you for this, this gift of community that we have. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.